0: Welcome to Restoring Grace Radio on blogtalkradio.com. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining us either live or on archives. Restoring Grace Radio is here to provide online lessons about the Christian faith, our history, our documents, and how to express our faith to a very needy world. Thank you for listening, and now, on to our broadcast. Good evening, my name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace, and whether you're joining me either live or on archive, thank you so much. Tonight, our Zohar and 15 show is going to be about praising God and understanding the importance of appointed times. Now, a little bit of a sore throat, please bear with me, I'll do the best that I can. Um, A little housekeeping, Um, I get some really great emails and messages, and somebody sent me one the other day and asked me, when I'm doing my show, do I put on a yarmulke and a prayer shawl, and, and do I do different things like that? I wish I was that cool. I am actually do most of my shows wearing a Boston Red Sox cap. Those of you that know me uh, would, would be like, yeah, I hit wear wears all the time. Now, uh, there is some confusion, and I want to do this for just a moment, about why the Zohar. When people read hear the Zohar in 15, they see the word Zohar. And isn't that a Jewish text? Isn't it this? Isn't it that? Well, um, it is, as a matter of fact. Now, real quickly. The Zilhar is a 23-volume in English. It's a 23-volume compodium of commentary on the first five books of the Bible known in Jewish circles as the Torah. And it's compo- – who wrote it and authored it is uh, some degree of uh, argument. Uh, most people, and I would agree with them, believe that it was Moshe de Leon who did it much later. Some people say Rabbi Shimon Bayer Kai, but the book is interesting in this respect. Now – for those of you Christians listening, there are thousands upon thousands of commentaries on the New Testament. That's basically what the Zohar is. That's just the Hebrew word simply meaning radiance or splendor. But what's interesting is that the rabbis that are uh, in the Zohar um, and their comments, they didn't all live at the same time. Some of them were dead hundreds of years before the other one. So the person that composes Zohar took these different rabbis. We have four rabbis in our story tonight, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Kaya, and Rabbi Yossi, who none of them lived during the same time frame, but they had opinions and they had written on the subject we're going to talk about tonight. So the composer goes and finds the different sayings of the different rabbis, and also the Zohar. They're kind of on this journey together, talking to each other as if they're all in the same room. That's what makes it an interesting and often mystical book it is not a, a, a book of, of, uh, of answers it's a book of questions now hopefully that'll help you out we are in a very interesting time in christian history in that the fact that we are probably experiencing some of the lowest turnout to our churches now this represents a problem on several levels there's a business aspect to it is it important to go to church does it matter um If people aren't coming, then tithes and offerings aren't coming in, and the business aspect of the church isn't there, the pastors are frustrated. Um, And this show isn't so much about that tonight. I want to talk about why it matters that you're there. But just to kind of talk out loud to try and get some of the conversation going, in 2003, Barner Research uh, did did a poll. And 11% of the interviewed people thought that it was unnecessary to attend church regularly for spiritual growth, growth development, 11%. Now, march forward five years into 2008, and that number had jumped up to 21%. Now, also in 2008, 58% of the people that were polled during that time, 58% of them said they attend the church due to family ties. Their parents go there, their family has gone there for years, this is where their wife goes. It it was it. In 2018, that number dropped from 58% down to 19% which simply means that families inside the churches are leaving. Now, most church growth – now, there's a lot of seminars and books and things you could buy. Again, not a subject for tonight, but just to make you think about it. There's a lot of books that you could talk. But most church growth, honestly, is simply lateral entry. That means you have somebody who goes to a Methodist church in Colorado Springs, and they don't like it, so they go to the Methodist church in, in uh, Canyon City. And the guy in Canyon City doesn't like that the church in Canyon City is getting bigger, so he goes to the church in Lyman. And the guy in Lyman, he, well, he gets a job promotion, and he winds up in Colorado Springs. So the numbers are constantly moving around. People say, well, we were a church of 100. Now we're a church of 200. Well, where do those people come from? Most church group growth is just lateral entry, people moving sideways from church to church. 47% of gunn borner burner research, in a recent poll, 47% of practicing Christian millennials, state that evangelism is wrong, that you shouldn't be out talking about your faith and your faith traditions and and pressing people to be involved in those things. Now, that same group, by the way, when they were asked if they met with their pastor or participated in any discipleship-type programs, only 22% said they were. And then the final one, worth noting, is in that same poll, only 23% of the Christians polled believe that Christians should be involved in issues of discrimination, sexual assault, racism, and social issues. That's interesting. Now, I say all that, and, and also preface it with the fact that we're not going to talk about that tonight. I say all that because there are legitimate reasons why people are, are not going to church, why the church is slowing down, why the attendance is off. But a thousand years ago, these rabbis that were talking Mentioned the importance of meeting at these appointed times. Does it really matter? Praising God and understanding the appointed times. I mean, if you think about it, what kind of God needs praise? I mean, he's up there. He's almighty. This is God. This is Elohim. This is Hashem, all the various names we have for him. Why, why does he need praise? Well, the rabbis kick in, and we're going to be reading from uh, portion Bo, uh, chapter 11, And uh, verses 180 through 184 In verse number 180 It starts off with this And at that time I love that And at that time The Holy One, blessed be he He gathered his whole routine His whole, all of the heavens He says to them, go And listen to the account of my excellency That my children are relating Rejoice in my redemption At that time They all gather and come and join with Israel to hear the story of praise. They rejoice with the joy of their deliverance by their master. And they've come to thank and praise the Holy One, blessed be he, for all the miracles and all the mighty deeds. And thank him for the holy nation that he has on earth that rejoices in the deliverance of their master. First of all, there's an appointed time. (coughs) I'm sorry. There's an appointed time. And when this time happens, if it's 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, and that's when you meet, or 1130 on Sunday morning, or Saturday night at 5, whatever you may be doing. At this appointed time, God gathers all the emissary of heaven to look down. And I want he says, go listen to the account that they're bringing. Go listen to my children at that time. This is a sacred time. It is a sacred place. It is a sacred meeting. And the heavens are there watching, not watching to catch you doing something in the act of doing something wrong, but to witness to the witness of his people. I cannot overemphasize the importance of creating appointed times, the meeting between God and his people, this meeting taking place where God stops the heavens and says, hold on, whoa, whoa. I want you guys to listen here. Now, Christians say to me, that is so legalistic. We can worship anywhere at any time. That's very true. But my first question is this. How does your unlegalistic faith prohibit an appointed time meeting anyway? You say that's not for you, then that's not for you. But the rabbis are telling us here that when we meet, when we gather at that appointed time, and we're on time, Just thought I'd throw that in there. And we're on time, and we're meeting that the heavens are opening the windows of heaven to look down so that, look at what he says, rejoicing in my redemption. Hear the story of praise, recounting the miracles and the mighty deeds. Secondly, let me ask you this. Do you actually meet your homes and your work and the street? Do you actually do that and worship God? I was a lot of conversation about it. Oh, I can do this in my home, I can do this at work, I can do this in the elevator. You're right, you can, but do you? Now, rejoicing with the joy of deliverance. I like this because this is present tense. This is present tense. We are meeting in these appointed times in this sacred place with the heavens watching us, not because God needs it, but because he wants to hear what's happening in our lives. He wants to hear about it. We have lost the concept of deliverance. We're going to get into why that's important here in just a minute. But we've lost, uh, lost it. Verse 181, the rabbis continue. Then his strength and his power is increased above by their recounting, or that another word for that would be testimony. The children of Israel give power to their master like a king whose strength and power increase increased when his strength is praised and he is acknowledged. All the fear of him and his glory rises above them all. Therefore, it is incumbent to praise and relate this story, as we have learned. Similarly, it is the duty of every person to relate before the Holy One, blessed be he, and publicize the miracle among all the miracles that he's done. Recounting the miracles of God, recounting the things that he's done, recounting the deliverance builds strength, And builds power There is so much negativity In the world today There is so much room For our enemy Our opponent Asatàn, To operate In the negativity Of all the different landscapes You could talk about But here in these appointed times In the sacred place This is where God comes To listen to us And we speak back to him And we tell him We relate our stories We publicize the miracles By the way Who's supposed to be doing this? This is great. It's incumbent upon the duty of every person. You see, folks, everyone has a story to tell. We often forget that the heavenly realms, the realm right above us is a spiritual battlefield. We're supplying – listen to me now. The heavens above us is a spiritual battlefield, and we are supplying the fighting materials. We are punching the holes in darkness when we say, praise be to God for the miracles that he's done – Praise be to God when every person understands that it's incumbent upon them to bring forth that testimony, to be in those appointed times, to be in that sacred place. It's a duty of every person to relate, to publicize the miracles, our story, our connection. And I know you don't like to hear this. You can't do this from home. It's being in the moment, being in that sacred space, being in those appointed times. The heavens are watching The energy, the connection, the light of the creator is coming. And we're strengthening it. We're sending supplies to the battlefield. So many Christians are always telling me, I go to get recharged. I have to go to get recharged. What are you doing all week long that you're draining your battery? It's simple. You're not plugged in. You take your phone and plug it into the wall and you leave it there. Does your battery die? When does your battery die? Your battery runs down when you take your phone away from its source and you unplug it and you leave your Wi Fi on. You're picking up this station and that station and this Wi Fi and you're Googling and Instagramming and book facing and all the things you do. And you get back and you're like, wow, my phone's on 17% and I got to go plug it back in again. And now you're back. Oh man, so great. How about you just do this? Stay plugged into the source everywhere you go. So that when you come back into Those appointed places. You come back into that sacred space, you have, as the Apostle Paul talked about, a testimony, a psalm, a thanksgiving to share. How different? How different would the face of Christianity be if what we were most known for was our message? This message here, verse 182, the rabbis go on and they say this, or one may ask, why is it obligatory? To relate the miracles, does not the Holy One, blessed be he, know everything, everything that was, everything that is, and everything that will be in the future? And wherefore, this publicity before him of what he did, if he knows. But the rabbis reply, surely, surely, one has to make the miracle known and relate it before him and all that he has done. Because these words, listen here, these words ascend. And all the company above, this is God, and and the angels and the whole retune of the heavens, they gather and see them, and they give thanks to the Holy One, blessed be he, and his glory rises over them, above them. We all understand in the book of Proverbs, it says life and death is in the power of the tongue. We understand that we build and destroy things here on earth with our words. Did you know that we could build for the kingdom above? We know God gets it. Think about that. We send the fighting materials to the battlefield. We build, and we build in the heavenly courts with our words. And we know that God gets it, but I wonder, do we get it? Do we understand the importance of that gathering? Do we understand the importance of the appointed times, of that sacred space where God is looking upon us and we're sending up the ornament, sending up the prayer, sending up the words to him? The main drive, the main drive, it's to make known what God has done. Make known what God has done. But I believe I believe we choose outside of sessions. I believe that we pick things that we know we can't win those battles that we could just complain about. Oh, if this was different and society was different and this didn't exist and that that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about what's happening in our lives. Not what's happening in society, not what's happening in the city or the county or the state or the country in our lives. Because if you don't have a miracle, if you don't have a real connection, if you don't have the praise, you got nothing to report. So we come into our churches unplugged from the source, batteries drained, waiting for some poor guy, a pastor, apostle, prophet, whatever overseer, whatever his name, title may be, her name may be, her title, deaconess. Come fill that cup so I can make it to you the other week. But that's not the idea of the appointed times. And it's no wonder that people stay at home and say, Well, I don't need to go because this week I feel pretty good. I want to tell you the most shocking spiritual revelation you can learn. This is not about you. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about manifesting glory. In in the in Judaism, we teach. About the fact that as it is above it is below As it is below it is above We create powers in the heavenly structures Through our praise Recounting the miracles Recounting the connections At the same time people in, in the faith Are always saying calling down the power of God Calling down the power of God How exactly are you accomplishing that If you're not connected to the source How do we connect? We connect with our appointed times. We connect with our sacred spaces. You know, a lot of times it's other people's lives and how they live become more interesting than our own. I recently sat listening to a pastor talk about the, the way all these all these guys over here, they, they live like this, they do that. And he was probably right about every part of it. But there's no connection there. There's no empowerment of the Holy Spirit happening there. There's no connection, vertical connection between what, what we call the crown, which would be the kingdom of God, the Kether, and the kingdom of earth, the Malkut, where we walk, there was no connection there. Why? Miracles, the power, the things that we pray for, they happen when we connect in the appointed times and in the sacred spaces, and we recount what God has done, and we send the, we send the ornaments up for the, the heavenly battle. We're making things happen in the heavenly services. We're connected to the heavenlies. And by the way, that's where the power is at. It's not about calling down power. It's about sending it up. Verse 183, the rabbis continue. It is the same. I want you to think about this. This is a really interesting concept. One of the reasons why I don't think that people honor the appointed times is because they don't have the miracles. They don't have the, the, the stories. They don't have the connection to come report. And what I'm going to talk about next, I think, is a powerful reason why. It is the same with he who relates and enumerates his sins of everything he did. He asks, why is that necessary? It is because the accuser, Satan, Asatân, is constantly before the Holy One, blessed be he, in order to recount those things and seek retribution for the sins of the people and demand judgment against them. So the rabbis are saying, look, while... We're in our appointed times, powerfully gathered in our sacred space, and we're throwing the praise up there. This whole time, our accuser, Satan, the enemy of our soul, has been there the whole time in the heavenly courts, accusing us and showing God all of our shortcomings. However, it says, when the person enumerates or repents of his sin, each and every one of his sins beforehand, he leaves no pretext for the accuser to exploit and then the accuser cannot demand any judgment against him, for he always demands judgment first, and afterwards he enumerates and accuses. Therefore, a person should take his own initiative before the accuser and enumerate his sins. One of the largest reasons why people are not coming to church, why they don't think the appointed time is is because they are consumed with the sin and the mistakes and the misgivings in their own lives. Praise and repentance very seldom ever makes it into the same sentence together. But you've got an accuser. You have an opponent. You have an adversary. And he is using your sins and your shortcomings as fuel to attempt to provoke God, stay with me, into judgment against you. But the path to forgiveness is repentance. Not just falling back and saying, well, Jesus did it all. Jesus took it. I get that part. But taking the initiative because most sins go unconfessed because people have no intention of changing their behavior. And that's where the disconnect is at. I can't go to church, Dave, because I've done the wrong thing. I can't go to church because I have sin in my life. For those of you that remember, Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, and I don't want to shock anybody, but that particular rabbinic parable had been around hundreds of years before Jesus, and the rabbis all took a different uh, tact on it. It all had a different ending. The beginning starts out very soon, uh, very similar. Some of them don't even have the elder brother in it, but Jesus did. And the idea of Jesus' parable of the prodigal son was the idea remember, that he's wasted everything, he has gone and committed. The vilest sets of sins and the worst things he could possibly do, and he's just finally run, run afoul. It's interesting that in one of the rabbinic parables on the prodigal son, the ending changes a little bit. And I think this is where pastors and apostles and overseers and, and, and the people of God, the evangelists, come into play. In one of the rabbinic parables, the, the landowner calls his, his most trusted in and says, I want you to go find out how my son is doing and come back and report to me. Maybe he's doing fine. Maybe he has taken his wealth and become a, a businessman. Maybe he owns property or, or maybe he's destitute. Go find out. Some time passes and the confidant returns and says, I found your son. Well, tell me about him, the landowner says. He says, he's in a horrible way. He's working as a slave uh, on a farm. He's doing all these things just to get a little bit of food. Um, I tried talking to him about returning home. He says, No, he's gone too far. And I, he, I, I told him that you wouldn't think like that. That's not how you are. That's not the heart of the landowner. But he said he's just too tired to make it back. And the landowner, landowner says to his, conflict, his most trusted advisor, I want you to go back to my son and tell him nothing can separate him from my love. Tell him, come halfway, I'll meet him there. Guides, guideposts, people who lead others in the correct way. You come halfway, come towards me, I'll bring you the rest of the way. We are so stuck on thinking about our sins being this this disconnect between us and God, and they can be that we don't repent, we don't confess, and we come into God's house with this cloud over us knowing if they only knew. You cannot un-disconnect yourself. From being in your church service just because things aren't where you want them to be, because you have sin in your life, because the message from the landowner to the prodigal son was, just come back. Just head my way. You head my way, and I'll do the rest. And boy, if that's not the message from God, from Jesus today, just come as you are. Come this way, and I'll do the rest. Verse 184, the rabbis go on to say this, talking about what happens when somebody confesses. What happens when we regain that right relationship? As soon as the accuser sees this, he has no pretext to complain against him, and he leaves from him entirely. If he repents, well, if not, the accuser rests on him and says, so-and-so has come before you and confessed unashamedly. He's kicked his masters. His sins are such and such. Therefore, it is advisable for the person to be careful in all this so he should be considered a faithful servant before the Holy One, blessed be he. we spend so much of our time and our energy avoiding the fact there are things in our lives that we don't want there that starts with me and we use that we use that as an opportunity To say, I can't be there because I'm not in right relationship. What a great place to get in right relationship with God, to remember the parable of the prodigal son, to remember that God says, look, don't – you just come my way. I'll meet you. And when the accuser comes before God and says, well, look at David. Look what he's done. God says, I've already talked to David about this. When the accuser says, what does David think he's doing here in this meeting, in this sacred place of yours? Look at this guy. Look at him. God says, I know all about him. I created him. He's already come to me. We've already talked about it. He knows I'm not happy. He knows there's consequence ahead. But He's putting his trust in me. Sometimes, folks, sometimes we draw our own conclusions of God in such a way it makes him completely unapproachable. I want to tell you a story as we close. We're in elementary school now. And there's a teacher. She loves drawing and art. So she gives her class this assignment. She says, all right, class of third graders, grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, pencil, whatever you have, and draw whatever you like. I'm going to give you 20 minutes. And then she starts walking around. She sees houses and chickens, and she sees a car, and somebody's doing a picture of their dad. she gets to the back, and she sees a young lady, Miranda, back there. Oh Miranda, this is really great. I see clouds and all kinds of stuff. What are you uh what are you making a picture of? And Miranda looks at her and says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher's a little taken back by that. She says, Well, Miranda, Miranda, nobody knows what God looks like. And, Rima- and Miranda responds with, In a few minutes they will. That childlike faith is the picture of why we show up, why we commit, why we are there. We are there to recount the miracles of God. We are there to to sing the praise. We are there to talk about the connection. We are there to, to talk about the miracles. We're there to repent and lay ourselves bare out on the altar and say, I am what I am. I have done these things and make the relationship between us and God right so that the accuser is driven away from us we are there to send heavenly ornament up into the heavens. We're there to, stroke, to stoke power in the heavenly court so that when we call upon that power, it's present. And it happens by being in the appointed times and creating those sacred spaces. God loves you, cares for you, and as Miranda said, in a few minutes they will know. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Story and Grace, and so whether you join me live or on Archive, thank you so much. I look forward to the next episode of Zohar 15.